morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the small group pastor. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, if you would, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 23. Glad you are here. Uh, again, glad you're with us. We've been working over the last few months. We've been working our way through 1 Samuel, uh, and we'll be doing that for a, a long time to come. And we've kind of gotten to the point or we're, we're, we worked through where Saul's anointed king, and then he loses that anointment. David's anointed king, and David's in the household of Saul, and then we see it kind of um, deteriorate, probably the best word for their, their relationship, the jealousy that Saul has towards David. David is anointed. And now we're at a point, last week we finished up where Saul destroys an entire city, men, women, children, the whole deal, and David runs away. And so we've seen this final break in the relationship between Saul and David. So David's hiding out. He flees, and we're going to pick up this morning in in 1 Samuel 23 with David hiding out in uh, the cave of Adullam and then the the forest of Horesh. And so if you would, you can go ahead and flip over with me to 1 Samuel 23. Then David told, excuse me, then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are plundering the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Calah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Calah against the ranks of the Philistines? Then David acquired the Lord once more, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go to Calah, for I will give you the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Calah. Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Calah, that he came down with the ephod and in his hand, he came down with the ephod in his hand. And when it was told Saul that David had come to Calah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gate bars. So picking up here, David's hiding out. He is avoiding Saul. He's avoiding Saul's army. And he gets word that the city of Cala, which is not far from where he is. You can see Cala is about three miles from Adullam there. And so David hears word that the Philistines are attacking. Now, Cala is a prime target for the Philistines. It's an isolated Israelite city. It's not near any of the others. It's relatively close to Philistia, uh, the main city of Gath there. They're during the harvest season, which means gates are open. People are out you know, cutting down the, the harvest. It's the wheat and barley harvest at this point. So the gates are open. The, the city is exposed. And so Caleb makes a very vulnerable and profitable target for the Philistines. And so David hears of this and he says, I'm going I'm to inquire of the Lord. Now, we don't know how he inquired of the Lord here. So there, there's this function in the Old Testament that you go to the ephod and you, and you acquire of the Lord there. And he doesn't have that yet. Abiathar hasn't fled to him yet, so he has the ephod. And so David, at this point, we're not sure how he's consulting God. However he consulted God, his men obviously didn't buy it. They're like, look, we're scared. We're outnumbered. We're already hiding from one army, and you want us to go engage another army? And they said, we don't, we don't really trust this. So David asked God again, and God says, go. And they said, okay, we'll go this time. I don't really know what happened in between or what changed for them or what changed in their heart, but they responded differently the second time. And so as we look at this, wisdom says don't attack, right? Wisdom says it's a walled city. They may already have gotten inside of the city. They may be there and be in control of this place. We're outnumbered. We've got Saul looking for us. 
we're definitely going to expose ourselves if we attack this other city. So Saul will definitely know where to find us. And so wisdom says, don't go and attack Caleb. Revelation says, go. God says, go. I'm going to give them into your hand. And so David responds. David and his men eventually respond accordingly to that, and they go and they deliver Caleb. Now, as they get there, it's kind of interesting. It's at this point where David gets to the city. He has probably around 400 men. He wins. Obviously, God is with him. It's kind of what's, what, the, what the author wants us to realize is that God's with him. And so Abiathar, the, the priest, the only survivor of the massacre of Nob, is going to join him with the ephod. And so now, initially, David didn't have any of the tools he needed to discern the will of God, right? He had nothing. We don't know what he did. Now he has the, the, the way to do it. With the ephod, the urim, and the thummim, he has both of those with him. And so he is able to discern God's will at this point. And so let's read on in verse 8. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Caleb to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard it for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Caleb to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Caleb surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come. Then David said, Will the men of Caleb surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord answered, They will, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Caleb, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Caleb, he gave up the pursuit. So the central event here for David at Caleb is this idea of inquiring of the Lord. Like in that passage right there, 47% of the Hebrew words there are, are referring to inquiring or discerning the will of God. Like that's what the whole part, or at least half of that, in, of that passage is about. What do you want me to do? And what we see here is that now he has the ephod. So he's taking the tools he's given plus his depth of relationship. He's obviously already hearing God, and now he's using the proper tools to make sure that he's staying kind of on the track, right? He's staying within the will of God. I'm hearing, and he's checking with, the, with these instruments that are laid out in Numbers 21, 27. That's up there for you, or 27, 21, excuse me. So basically what happens here, he takes these two stones. Can you put those up there for me? Gosh, maybe. He takes these two stones, and one is revelation, one is wisdom. He's going to kind of cast them. So he hears from the Lord, yes, but he also has this instrument, this tool, to make sure and discern from the Lord. So imagine, like, he's playing Yahtzee, right? He's throwing out the dice, trying to figure out what, what God's saying, and he's also hearing the voice of God telling him what to do. And so what we find out about David is his complete reliance on the Lord. He's not, he's not making any move. He doesn't attack Kayla to begin with without the approval of God. Now he's not leaving Kayla without the approval of God. And we see with Saul the exact opposite. Saul hears rumors. He hears gossip. He responds. He tries to give that credit to God, saying, well, God, God surely delivered him into my hands. But he's not consulting anyone here. He's responding out of his gut feeling. He's responding out of out of military strategy, there's no sense that he is connected to the Lord at all. And so we get this contrasting picture of relationship. 
David has a depth of relationship that even when he doesn't have everything he needs to be able to hear God's voice or to discern God's will, he, he, he hears him. And when he does have it, he also stays within the, the, the parameters, right? He has the, the, the two stones that keep him on track. Verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the, country, in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now David became aware that Saul had come to <clears throat> now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness at Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. And you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And, not, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his home. So, I'm trying to figure out here how Saul can't find David and Jonathan just kind of walks right into camp. He's like, just walks right up. Seems a little interesting to me that he's able to do that. But it's a, it's a cool picture here of community, right? David is hiding. He's scared. He doesn't know what's going on. Even though God has delivered him two times in a row, he still goes back to that place of fear. And Jonathan comes along and encourages him. Jonathan reminds him, look, I know you're going to be king my dad knows you're going to be king. We all know that this is going to be successful, that you're going to do all the things. And so Jonathan says, stop being scared. What are, you, what are you doing? Don't be afraid. You know God has proven over and over again that he is saving you and delivering you from my dad. And so they renew that covenant that we think this is probably, well, this is definitely the last recorded time that Saul and, uh, excuse me, that Jonathan and David meet. Um, Jonathan then goes home, which I'm not sure if he's not allowed to be with the army because he supports David or he's choosing not to be with the army because he supports David. Not really sure which one that is, but he goes home. They make the covenant again, and um, so we don't we see a transition point here. Jonathan's completely out of the picture from this point on. David is now coming face to face with Saul because Saul knows where he is as well. So let's read on in chapter in verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to your, to your desire of your soul, and to do so, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. Saul said, May you be blessed of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Go now, make sure and investigate, and see his place where his haunt is, and who has seen him there, for I am told that he is very cunning. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall come about that if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Then they arose and went to Zip for Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon and the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David he would, <clears throat> they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on the other side of the mountain, and David, his men, the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding him. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come. The Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned, to the, so Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore they called it that place the Rock of Escape. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. So these... 
Ziphites. These are people from Judah. That means they're in the same tribe as David. Same group. Same family. They enthusiastically go to Saul and say, hey, whatever you want to do here with David, we support you. We want to give this to you. And their reaction here is probably out of fear. They see if, if we help David, you know, the, the, what's happened at Nob has spread throughout the country. And so there's some, this fear of Saul. And so they're willing to give up their own tribesmen, clansmen, whatever you want to call them, to give him over. And so Saul sends them back and says, find out what his habits are. Look and see what he does. Look and see where he goes. Because, you know, Saul has mastered this idea of, of, a, of an ambush. And so he's planning on ambushing David, where his mili- David's military genius is kind of not in the picture. But then we see David responding by going on top of this hill. Now, the battle looks inevitable to me, right? David's on top of a hill. Saul is surrounding him. It looks like here's the culmination of this whole event. The battle's going to take place. And Saul, it's kind of weird. Saul thinks he has an advantage here, but I'll try to keep the old history teacher in me out of this. But it's hard to find a battle anywhere in antiquity where the people who are on top of the hill lose to the people who are at the bottom of the hill. Battle-tested, he has the high ground, and he has God with him, right? Seems to me that he has every advantage here, and Saul is going to lose. I believe David's men saw the same thing. It's like, let's attack. We can end this thing. We don't have to live in caves anymore. We don't have to live in the wilderness anymore. We can beat him, and then we can go live in the city and live in our houses and be with our families and all those type of things. And David makes one of the most foolish military mistakes he can make. He gives up the high ground and runs away. He gives it all up and runs away. Foolish militarily, but it's also brilliant theologically. See, David knows his deep relationship with the Lord, his deep connection with the Lord. He understands to kill God's anointed is not what God wants him to do here. So this foolish military act turns out to be wisdom theologically. Again, Wisdom for the whole situation is attack, win, take over. Revelation says give up the high ground and run away. And I believe that God worked in this to save David again by the Philistines raiding the territory, raiding the land. And Saul has his obligation to defending Israel trumps his personal vendetta of of taking on David. Now, when reading this, I kind of prayed about what, this seems like a lot of history, seems like a lot of stuff that may not be completely relevant. So I started praying, just asking the Lord, what is it? What, is, what, what can we get from something like this? And the, I just feel this, this inclination to preach to myself this morning. So that may be a little selfish. If it is, I apologize. But to say something that, that really I've been struggling with for most of my Christian walk. So I grew up in a church in Kentucky that was, the Bible was the end-all, be-all of all things. It was, here's the Word of God. If you need an answer... It's here. Go to the Bible every time there's an opportunity. Be in the Word. It was We did those Bible drills. Do you all remember that? When you all growing up, you did it like this right here, and they caught a verse, and you had to flip to it and read it before everybody else did. Uh, I'm really competitive, so I was really good at that, and so I made sure I won all the time. If I didn't, I cheated. But um, I, made, I had to win, so win at all costs, right? But it was this, this focus all the time on Scripture. I remember... I had this youth pastor when I was in the seventh grade. One of the, I think this is the only thing I remember he ever taught me. He, he had this series of why you don't have to pray. That was his series, why we don't have to pray. And he would talk to us every week. He would say, guys, prayer's good for you. It's therapy. 
saying it out loud, articulating what's going on in your heart. That's all good stuff for you. But actually, there's no need to pray. See, God knows this stuff already. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the outcome. He knows everything in it. You're not going to change his mind. You're not going to change what happens. He said, so there's really no reason to pray. He said, he would, he would always hit us with, divorce the emotional from the rational. He said that all the time. Emotional experiences of faith, he said, will go away and you'll be out there and you'll have nothing. He said, you've got to educate your head. He said, your heart will come along later, but you have to educate your head. That was his push all the time. Sounds great, doesn't it? Good upbringing I had. Um, it was just this constant bombardment. We, at that church, we worshiped the Bible instead of God. The, the Bible had replaced God. It had become an idol for us in a lot of ways. This is difficult to talk about because I'm not up here telling you don't read your Bible. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there's something that goes along with it. God meets us with what we need regardless of what we have. David had nothing in the cave, and God met with him and gave him a word and said, go fight at Caleb. David had the ephod when he was at when he was at Caleb to run away from Saul, and God spoke to him again and said, hey, go away. David, regardless of the tools he had, God still met him with what he needed. See, I believe David is operating as a New Testament man in the Old Testament. I believe that David is on, he is speaking and communicating with God the same way that we have the opportunity on this side of the cross. As I started thinking about this idea, like, if all I need is the Bible, when I became a, when I became a Christian at 25 years old, that's where I came out of. Like, all right, all I need is the Bible to do all this stuff. All I need to do is connect with Scripture I don't have to ask God anything. I can just go to the Word and get all the answers. So I had this really sophisticated Bible study technique, two of them, actually. You may want to try this with your kids. I would stand like this, turn my head, and flip open. First Kings, there's not a chapter on this page, so we'll figure it out. That's what God wanted me to read. The other thing we did, I can't do it with this Bible. I broke the spine in my old Bible. I would take my Bible like this, and I would drop it right there, and whatever it fell open to, it was like, oh, that's what God wanted me to know today. It's brilliant, right? It's like, gather everybody around for that. But what God started impressing on me, condemnation, please, but the only people in the world that can afford to live their life, their Christian life, thinking the Bible has all the answers they need, the Bible's all the, are people in the West with money started bringing up all these questions for me. Like, what about somebody who lives in Iran right now? Like, how does God speak to them? Because the Bible's illegal. They get their head chopped off for having a Bible, right? How does somebody in these places where, where, where the Word's not allowed, how do they hear from the Lord if they can't ever have a Bible and God only speaks through the Bible? How does that happen? What, what's going on? See, it's, it's the desperation that they have. They come to God with what they have, which is nothing but desperation. I need to hear your voice. I need to hear you, and God meets them there, and they, I've got a house, I've got a wife, I've got a kids, I've got a great job, I've got everything I need. I'm trying to, trying to search my heart and say, what am I desperate for? I've got everything. What am I desperate for that God will meet me here and tell me? 
And so that's been my prayer recently. And it brought me to this passage in Matthew. And forgive I don't have it on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. But Matthew 15, 21. So Jesus went away and there and there <clears throat> Jesus went away from there and withdrew from the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the region came and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting to us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but... But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master. It shall be done, done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. This woman was from the wrong place. She's a Canaanite. She didn't have the cultural upbringing of knowing Scripture, of knowing the Torah. She didn't have any of the things that required how to come into the presence of the Lord. She didn't know what it meant to be clean versus unclean. She didn't know the structures, the system. She didn't know, you know to give it a modern word. She didn't know how church worked. She didn't know I'm supposed to bow my head when I pray. She didn't know the rules that I knew growing up. I mean, you can't wear a hat in church. It's disrespectful because God cares. Right? It's like she didn't have any of those things. She came to God. She came to Jesus with exactly what she had, and that was desperation. She said, she recognized, God, you are the only one. Jesus, you're the only one. Son of David, help me. And he, she thinks herself a dog. She thinks she's worthy of crumbs. And I believe that when Jesus responded, your daughter is healed, I believe he said, no, you get the whole loaf. Here's all of this. She didn't have the law to go to. She didn't have a book to flip open. She didn't have scrolls. She didn't have any of that. All she had was her pure heart and all of her desperation. And when you contrast that with the Pharisees, Matthew 23, if you're interested to see what the Pharisees are like, read Matthew 23. They know the law. They've got all the law memorized. They have even the unwritten laws memorized. They have everything that these guys said, the oral law that existed. They've got that memorized. They know how to work at the temple. They know how to be ceremonially clean. They know how to keep the Sabbath. They know all the rules and the regulations that come with worshiping God. They've got it all down. If there's theological knowledge to be had, they have it. They're the ones that make it. They're the ones that teach it. And they didn't recognize Jesus. They weren't desperate for anything. They felt like they had everything that they needed. They kept the law, they kept all the stuff, but they didn't have that desperation, that idea that I need Jesus more than anything else. And they missed him. They missed him. These are the people who should have known most, right? That we're talking in the modern, they're the people sitting in church every day. They're the people sitting there worshiping every day, doing the rituals, praying and doing all the stuff. And they missed him. And you compare her to the woman who doesn't know anything. And she says, that's, that's the one that can help me. It's out of desperation. God meets us with what we need, regardless of what we have. It looks a lot like David for her. She didn't have all the tools, but he still met her. These guys have all the tools, and they forgot to look at the heart behind it. They forgot to acknowledge what his Holy Spirit will do for us. They forgot to acknowledge 
that he is moving and living. And for me personally, I grew up with, with that idea. I'm going to go to the Word. I'm going to go to Scripture. I'm going to look at it. Every answer is there. And what I've learned over the last four or five years is that I was worshiping my Bible. This became my idol. I carried it around. I protected it. Kind of had, you know, don't want to get dust on it. I had it all kind of tucked away. And if I, if, some, if I had a question about something, I brought it back out. And I'm not diminishing the importance. I see some of you getting your phones out, emailing David. Um, I'm, I'm not diminishing the importance of this. Not in any way. It's just like when David had the, the ephod with him, he went to it and used it, right? It's both and. It's not either or. So this is a great opportunity to see the heart of God. It's an autobiography that points to his heart and tells us how much he loves us. He loves us so much that he said, I'm not just going to give you pages on a book. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you. He's going to give, you, he's going to give us all of those things. He's going to pour that out. See, I fell in love with a character on a page at first until the Holy Spirit brought all of that to life in my life. Where he moved in my life, he inspired me, and I'm starting to learn how to listen for his voice. I'm starting to learn how to discern his voice. I'm starting to hear him more clearly. And I make mistakes with it probably all the time, but if I don't make mistakes, I'm probably not trying. And so I'm seeking him in a way that's so different. And these words now that were just words of a, of a really good story have started to come alive in my life and start to penetrate my heart. If you're, if you, if some of you are sitting there going, yeah, thanks for, for joining us, right? Some of you are saying, y'all, now you're in the club. If that's you, I, mean, I just said, thank, you know, praise God, pray and thank him. That's, thank you for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that information, for meeting me, for talking to me, for showing me what the purpose of both of these are, this both and idea. And some are like the Canaanite woman. You don't know scripture at all. But you know who Jesus is, and you're pursuing him, and, and you're going after him, and, and all those type of things. And sometimes you lose your way, and you figure out, you look up and say, how did I get here? Well, this is a pretty good way to keep yourself on the rails. This is the spot where this becomes even more important, because it takes that and says, here, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the guys to write this live in your heart, and he won't contradict himself. And so if you're, if you're you know, going off the rails, and it's, and it's contradicting this, then you're probably not hearing from the Lord there. Go ahead and dismiss that. But I feel like for most of us, if you're like me, I fall into that Pharisee path pretty easily. I know the law. I know the word. I study it. I I love to study it. But sometimes I miss Jesus for the really good story. I miss who he is because the story is really good. And so I've been praying, Lord, Lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Give me words. I was talking with someone recently. I don't dream ever, ever. And I I definitely believe God speaks to us in dreams. And I was praying praying with someone, and I said, can you just pray for me that God will send me a dream? Please, I just want one. I'll take it. And she prayed, and we talked, and she prayed, and she would email me prayers, and then I had a dream, and I had the same dream four times, and it was like perfect, right on the money. This is God speaking to me. I knew it and wrote it out, and it was like I had this party up in the office, and I was like, what are you, where have you been? But um, 
just being open to, him, to letting him speak to us, to letting him talk with us, not rejecting it, saying, you know what, God only speaks through this because I'm telling you there are things in here that doesn't answer every question that we might have. It's not going to tell you, you know, where to get about a new job. It's not going to tell you where you should move or anything like that, but it will tell you how much he loves you. And when we love someone, we want to be in a living, working relationship with them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He speaks to us. He loves us. He leads us. And all we have to do is just ask. I believe with all my heart that if we ask the Holy Spirit to come, figuratively come, he's already here, but if we ask him to reveal more of himself, I believe he'll give us exactly what we need, regardless of the tools we have. So in a minute, we're going to take communion. If you're a communion server, you can come on up. Uh, Prayer teams. If you would come up, we'll pray during communion. We're going to pray for physical healing. But as you come this morning for communion, I just want you to ask the Lord, as both things over us, just to speak to us. Lord, I've, you know, I've rejected a lot of what you've had to say to me, but I want to hear your voice. And so I just encourage you to pray that. If you, when we take communion here, you'll come down the center aisle, you'll tear off a piece of bread, you'll dip it in the juice. You go go back to your seats. If you need gluten free bread, it's on the it's on the corners here. But just ask him this morning, God. I know your word, but I want to hear your voice. Come to him with what you have, and he'll give you exactly what you need. Let's pray. Father, we we all come to you from a different spot. We come to you from a different place. Some of us come with great knowledge of your of your Bible, and others come with great awareness of your spirit, Lord. And we're just asking this morning for both and, that you would give us exactly which part that we're missing most, that you would, you would give us what we need this morning, but that you would give us knowledge of scripture and you give us revelation of your spirit this morning. So God, we're asking that you would speak this morning, that you would speak clearly to our hearts, that we would be clear and understandable, Lord, and we would be, it would be recognizable. God, just give us what we need, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.